This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Thank you for joining me around the fireside tonight. My name is Joe, and I'm here to tell you a story. Tonight's story is part two of Mary Crowner's Angels in Black Park. If you haven't heard part one, please take a listen to that before you listen to this one, as it might not make a lot of sense. Once again, this story touches on adult themes and has bad-ish language, so our younger listeners should probably avoid it. As always, please like, follow and subscribe to Tales by the Fireside. Every interaction truly does mean the world to this channel. Now, get comfortable, let go of the daylight and join me for our story. Angels in Black Park, Part 2, by Mary Crowler Angels at Christmas He watched as she strolled beside the lake. The day was glorious, the sunshine, the colours of autumn just giving way to the colours of winter. White, silver and bronze, along with the hard brown earth. She was a beauty, that's for sure. His dream woman, really. Long, dark brown wavy hair that fell down past her shoulders. Her skin of the glow from the walking on such an icy day. He wondered if he dared talk to her. Well, what could be lost by doing so, he said to no one in particular. Even if he couldn't see anyone near him, he couldn't shake the feeling that someone was nearby, watching with kind eyes. Mad, really, because here he was, homeless, cold, and extremely lonely, with Christmas looming. He had spent the day walking around shops, looking at all the stunning gifts and goodies to be purchased for someone, and the someone that you loved. He didn't have anyone, which was just as well, because he couldn't have bought them anything anyway. He could see his reflection looking back at him through the beautifully dressed windows. It didn't show his pasty colouring, nor the dark circles around his eyes. Even his thin, dirty Mac looked cleaner, and when Tony smiled into the glass, he could see the promise of the handsome man he had once thought he would be. Someone was pressing something into his hand. Why, what you doing, missus? But she had walked away, leaving a note in his hand. When he looked, it wasn't just paper. It was twenty pounds. Wow, now what had brought that on? He moved on, 
was feeling rich and his mood lifted. He spent it many times in his mind until finally the smell of the pizza won and he walked with purpose towards a seat inside the pizza restaurant, making sure he didn't sit too near anyone because he knew he didn't smell so good after sleeping rough for so many days. It had been some time since he had found somewhere to wash properly. Sorry, mate, we can't have you sitting in here. Your clothes are shot with the way you look and smell. Off you go. He didn't seem unkind, just matter of fact. And it was true. Tony already knew he was undesirable. The warmth of the place had begun to seep into his bones, and it was with reluctance he moved to leave the smell of coffee, pizza, and the comfort of the eatery. Okay, I'm leaving. Sorry. Hanging his head, he shuffled outside. As he left, the waiter said, If you walk round back, mate, I'll give you some grub. It's warm around here, next to the kitchen. Tony had just found his way around the back of the restaurant when the waiter, true to his word, came out with an old wooden chair covered in different colours of paint for him to sit on and a large brown pizza box. Inside, Tony found the biggest, hottest pizza he had seen for a very long time. He picked the first piece up and savoured every bite. It tasted every bit as wonderful as it looked. Smelling the coffee before he saw it, he looked down at the side of him. The waiter had also left him a cup of coffee. He took a sip and sighed. Wow, what a day. He took some time, but he managed to eat almost three quarters of his pizza. Carefully, he wrapped the rest in the brown paper it had been lying on and pushed it into his Mac pocket. Knocking on the back door so that he could thank the waiter and hand in the cup and box, he was surprised when a large man opened the door and told him to get lost. I just wanted... But the man was busy shouting at him, telling him to leave or else. Tony placed the box and empty coffee cup on the upturned chair and left. The £20, still sitting comfortably in his trouser pocket, made Tony feel secure. Maybe he could pay for a bed in a warm dormitory tonight. Even two nights. That would see him right over Christmas at least. He walked on, finding himself in his favourite place. Black Park was full of trees and pathways. Lots of places to hide in, especially after the gates had been locked. He walked towards the lake, enjoying the realisation that today he could buy a hot drink instead of begging for one at the door. The staff, and especially Jenny, had always been kind to him, so he tried not to come too often, thinking they would tire of him. It was when he reached the cafe, overlooking the lake, that he saw a beautiful woman. She was walking in his direction now. Would she speak to him? Probably not. Bowing his head once again, he started to edge his way around the side of the cafe so he didn't embarrass her with his searching eyes. But then she spoke to him. It was him. She knew his name. Hi, Tony. Won't you stay and have a coffee with me? More than anything, Tony wished that he had found the time to wash before this moment. Do I know you? How do you know my name? He turned his head and looked toward the cafe. Did they tell you? Maybe they did. What about the coffee? Or maybe tea? The woman sat down on one of the wooden benches that backed up against the cafe wall. Suddenly, Tony realised that he had money in his pocket. He could actually ask this stunning woman if he could buy her a drink. Feeling full of light and happy as he could ever remember being, he said, Let me buy you a drink. Well, thank you. That's most kind. Her voice was light on the air between them. She reached out and touched his wrist to delay him a second. Could I have a cake as well? Tony was delighted. She actually wanted to spend time with him. Thank goodness he had the money in his pocket. For a second, he thought of his plan to get a bed inside tonight, but the thought was fleeting and it had gone before he'd reached the counter and placed his order for coffee and cake. He put the £20 note on the counter, 
The girl he knew as Jenny looked surprised. Not like you to splash out, Tony. Are you sure you can afford it? Cake isn't cheap. I can get you some toast and jam. I won't charge you for that, but the boss will notice a missing piece of cake. Jenny had often given him food over the months since she'd started working here, but he knew she hid it from her boss who wasn't so generous. That's kind of you, Jenny, but today I can pay, and the cake is for my friend sitting outside. As he left, he placed a pound into the tip saucer and smiled at Jenny. The beautiful lady was still there. She hadn't gone whilst he'd been inside. He had debated going to the toilet for a quick tidy up, but thought she would surely leave if he took too much time to come back. With two steaming cups in one hand and the cake in the other, he carefully placed the cake and hot drink in front of her with a flourish. For you, lovely lady. Sitting opposite her, he prepared to watch her eat a cake that he had bought especially for her. He had never bought a cake for a lady before. Smiling, she drank some coffee, then lifted the cake with delicate fingers and took a bite. How did you know chocolate cake is my favourite? I didn't, but it's mine, so... He smiled at his playfulness with words. He was flirting. Another first. Looking over her shoulder, he was surprised to see how sharp the world around him had become. It wasn't cold anymore. He felt so good. Not cold. No pain in his legs from sleeping on cold floors. His spirits lifted as he turned his attention back to the lady eating chocolate cake before him. It was the first time he noticed her eyes. Dark brown eyes. Eyes with love in them. For him? Now he was being stupid. How would anyone love the mess that he was? Surely he was unlovable. He felt a sharp pain in his chest. The pain of the truth of that thought. He'd never been loved. His mother had left him when he was six years old, and his father said he was just like her and hit him often. Food was short and warmth rare. If the old lady next door had not fed him and bought him warm clothes as he needed them, he was sure he would not have survived. He called her Grandma Gloria, and years later he realised she was glorious Gloria, because she had very little herself, but was happy to share with him. Maybe because she didn't care for herself enough was why she died when he was twelve. Life was much worse then. He had nowhere to hide from his father's drunken beatings, so he left and headed towards London. No one seemed to notice him, not even to cause him trouble. Some people were kind, and yet others disregarded him, but it was rare that anyone tried to harm him physically. She was watching him, watching his eyes as if she could see pictures there, pictures of his thoughts. Your mother didn't leave you, Tony. Was he talking his thoughts out loud? What do you know about my mother? My life? He felt haunted, hurt. He didn't want this moment tainted with his past. He finished her cake and coffee, and he hadn't even drank his. He didn't really want it. He didn't want the pizza in his pocket either. Shall we walk by the lake? She stood up and offered her hand for him to take hold. Tony looked at her hand for a while, then watched as he slowly reached out and held it in his. It felt right, perfect, as it should be. Jenny came out of the cafe to collect the plates and cups. In her hand was a carefully wrapped Christmas present for Tony, something she thought might be useful. Every evening for some time now she knitted. As it grew, she smiled. He'd be pleased with the hat and gloves. The colour of them depended on the wool she had, but they were a reasonable match when finished, and Tony wouldn't mind, she was sure. He was sitting in the corner with his back against the wooden wall of the cafe. She had placed the parcel next to him on the bench, and she was reaching out to take the cups and plate, thinking, I knew he couldn't drink two cups of coffee because one was still full up. But then she realised Tony's gaze was still and unmoving. She shook his arm, but he just fell forward onto the table, knocking the cup of coffee over. Jenny backed away. 
She'd really liked Tony and had even asked her boss to consider taking him on, giving him a chance. But her boss wasn't very keen, saying he could be a bad un, and she should be careful talking to strangers. Jenny knew he was a good man. She knew a bad man when she met one. She ought to. She had met too many in her short life. Tony had never been happier, and when he was almost afraid to ask the questions lining up inside his head, he could break the spell. Maybe she may even disappear. He did feel light-headed after all. What she said next was certainly not expected, but it did break the spell, that's for sure. Stopping and facing him, looking up into his eyes, he realised that they looked like the same as his. And in that second he knew, knew for sure, that this was his mother. Your father killed me and buried my body. He buried me here, and it took a long time for me to understand all of it, Tony. I was about to leave. Indeed, I had left and returned many times. But this time, I wasn't going to come back. I saw you right here in this park, and I remembered it all, and how it had been. I now know why I kept coming back. I needed you to know you were always loved. Tony stared at her, feeling lost, cast adrift, unsure of what he should do. Hurt, pain, and finally anger came to the surface. Shouting, he asked his mother, What was the point of me, mother? The last word was spat out, leaving saliva dripping down his chin that he ignored. His mother took his face between her hands. You made a big difference. You offered people a chance to be kind, to be grateful for what they had. You even inspired some to strive to change things. You allowed an old lady to have the child she never had and took away her loneliness. You offered many the chance to redeem themselves in how they behaved around you. You chose your life. It was your lesson, the lesson you asked to learn. His mother looked to see if he understood. He turned and walked slowly, his head bowed back towards the cafe. Why is Jenny crying? She thinks you've died. Tony took in the scene before him, seeing himself slumped over on the table outside the cafe. He felt sick, unsure of what was happening. He turned to his mother and said, Am I dead? Are you here to take me somewhere? You can leave now if you wish, but your life could be different, better. Jenny is very fond of you. She would be a kind and loving partner, even children to nurture in a way that never happened to you. Tony looked toward Jenny. He'd been so busy looking down he'd never looked at her properly. She was kind, he already knew that, but she was pretty. Long, dark hair and soft brown eyes, now full of tears for the passing of him. She cared. She may even want to be with him. No one had seemed to want him, or he had thought that before. He started to remember the kindness of others in his life, especially Grandma Gloria. Christmas and his future could be wonderful with someone by his side. He looked at the beautiful woman he now knew was his mother. She was fading, but her smile looked hopeful. Was it because he knew he was coming with her or staying with Jenny? Was he staying? Will I remember you? This? He asked his mother. If you have doubts, you cannot come with me, son. I am so glad we've had this time together. I will leave a memory of your time with me as a child. You were loved by me, and always will be. Tony lifted his head and frightened Jenny. I thought you died. You were so still. Come inside, for goodness sake. Jenny fussed around him, making him a hot drink. Sitting beside him, she caught his hand and said, That's it. I'm not taking any more chances. You're coming home with me. Tony laughed, squeezed her hand and said, Am I now? Looking outside, Tony saw a bright yellow light shooting over the lake. It made him think of his mother, and he remembered how beautiful she was. The Haunting of Bernie I'm fairly sure I'm dead. And not just dead, but an angel. 
You'll probably find that a bit hard to accept or believe, but I do have some proof. Right now, I'm sitting on a bench. Around me are trees. A lot of trees. I would name them, but I don't know their names. I like having them around, though. I like the flowers that grow beneath and between the roots of the trees. I love the smell of this place. Warm, brown, crumbly earth with insects and beetles slipping between what must seem like mountains to them. The bench has my name on it. My name is all I can remember of who I was. I've seen the name many times. It's been said to me often. I could not read, but now I know how it looked and sounded. Bernie. My second clue was the woman who visits, or did visit until recently. It's beautiful here. I'm sure that would be enough to visit this place, full of trees and wildflowers. She always sits here in this place, and then she talks as if someone is sitting beside her. She doesn't make much noise when she cries, but she is very sad, and it's clear she misses me a lot. She says, How could you leave me? I don't think I can live without you. She must have figured it out, because she hadn't visited for some time. Anyway, you must agree that these clues point to the probability of my being dead. When I followed her, she walked away and toward the exit of the woods. She passed a children's area where children played happily. She didn't stop to watch or seem wistful at their presence, nor appeared to mind the fact that she did not have any with her. She passed the lake that made this area the hub of activity from sailing toy boats to watching dogs paddle and swim at the edges. She passed the cafe with the most wonderful smell of bacon and sausages cooking. I felt hungry for the first time since... Well, I couldn't even remember being hungry before. A memory stirred, but slipped away into parts of my brain that held secrets from me. As we reached the path that led outside, I felt uneasy. A risk was nearby. I felt as if I was fading into nothing. I looked up to see the woman, but she'd gone. Disappeared. And now, I was sitting on the benchmark Bernie. I didn't see her again for a long time. Further proof, I thought, that I'm an angel. I must have flown so quickly I couldn't remember it. Someone laughed. The sort of laugh that burst out almost involuntarily. I looked around to see who it was. Angels need training too. I watched as he considered what was happening to him. To be fair, he didn't have all the facts, so his thought process was without any real basis in reality. I knew, of course, because I was an angel, albeit a trainee. So I spoke up. It was me who laughed. I waved. I waved. I appeared before him as he would expect me to look. Long, white robe, ridiculously white large wings to match. It was always difficult deciding what to wear on my feet, but generally they like me to be barefoot. That's assuming they believe I'm there at all. In this case, it wasn't a problem because he believed he was an angel. He didn't speak out, but I could hear his thoughts clearly enough as he asked the question. Why did you laugh? I assume you know what I'm thinking because I didn't speak out loud. I knew that the time for him to move on was upon him and soon he would be leaving, but first he had to start remembering. Should I tell him outright with just three words? No doubt in my mind that he would completely change his thoughts as to what was happening. No, I needed to be more subtle, or I'd make the experience a bad one that I most certainly did not want to happen. Ask me what you want to know, I said, hoping that my smile was all I wanted it to be. I wanted him to feel at ease. Where is the woman gone? Was she someone special to me? She cried so much. Why couldn't she see me? And then she disappeared. Why? As an angel, I had never come across anyone who wanted to know about someone else before they wanted to know about themselves. Good sign, I thought. Clearly he was concerned about her. Well, it's her name that's on that bench for a start. Her proper name was Bernice, 
but everyone called her Bernie. I stopped there, waiting to get a reaction, but all I saw in those brown eyes was patience. Your name is Sam, and you were definitely important in her life. Indeed, you're the only one that ever cared about her. If she remembered you and saw you next to her, she'd be filled with joy. I could see that this pleased Sam. What Sam didn't know was that although he and Bernie could not see each other now, they had started to remember things. They were, and always would be, close, and had never been apart in distance. He knew how it worked. He knew it would be soon, and he knew he loved this bit. How did she die? Where did she die? She was very young and so pretty, surely someone else loved her other than me. Ah, Sam, you see things the same way I do. You see beauty on the inside, not the outside. She was constantly in your company from the moment you met. She cared for you very well indeed. She died of old age, Sam. But for you, that never showed. You're starting to remember how you died. I could see Sam struggling with the memories that started to open up. I thought now would be a good time to stand up and hope that they could see each other once more. Here it comes. I do hope Sam wouldn't be too disappointed with how it was and how it would continue to be if they wanted to leave together. It was Bernie that saw him first. The joy on her face took my breath away. Her tears filled her eyes and I could see her heart fit to burst with how much love she had for him. Sam had been here when she had died. For her, it was an impossible thought to be without him, so that memory had been removed until she could cope with it. For Sam, it was easy. He wasn't going anywhere. He had sat beside her until she was found, had snarled at anyone who tried to take her, and had finally run off when they tried to capture him. To be without her was unthinkable, so after she'd been taken, he had stayed in the last place she had been, confident that she would return, because she always did. Sam refused food or coaxing by the kind people who wanted to help him. Finally, of course, he had died, leaving the memories of her in the air and tangled in the branches around him. A family had purchased and placed the bench on the spot. She had died and put her name on the backrest. In loving memory of Bernie and her Sam, never to be parted. Nothing could completely erase her from Sam's mind, and Bernie had refused to think of her life without Sam, so wiped his memory away completely. Bernie had lived in limbo. Watching as they rejoined in death was a reward for this job. Never surpassed by another joy in the past, nor I suspect in the future. Every time was so pleasing. Bernie buried her face in the fur, beloved body of her collie, as he in turn licked her face and barked with joy. For a split second, a sweet smell of pleasure hung in the air. Shafts of light danced around them as they left with full knowledge of what they had and would always have in being in each other's company. The still, untrained angel makes mistakes. I watched the dog and his mistress leave. A happy ending for sure, but as quickly as I felt their joy, I felt the despair of a man nearby. I didn't want to look or connect in any way. Even a trainee knows about these souls. I could call them lost souls, but no one is ever truly lost. Being in the centre of the universe, knowing everything, but not being able to change anything, an angel can only guide was the reality of being an angel. But these people had to be left to follow another path. It was best to not even acknowledge his presence, so I didn't. I knew the angel had seen me. He must be new, because he nearly acknowledged me, and now I have him listening to me. They all got it wrong, these oh-so-clever angels. They didn't and don't know everything. How could they? I've been here for a very long time. Unlike some of the others that have left their life, I can never be redeemed, or so it seems. 
Angels avoid and ignore me, but in time I realised that if they ignore me, then they knew I was here to be ignored. Forgiveness. Who wants their forgiveness? I did nothing wrong to them. I had done wrong to some people, but no one told me I'd have to pay it in this way as a consequence. Seems a bit unfair to me. You'd think that whoever was in charge would be fairer than this. Well, wouldn't you? Why am I stuck here? I don't know this place. Surely if you're going to roam the earth, it should be in a place you knew. I could roam around the places where I'd committed my crimes, alleged crimes, because I have known the consequences. Well, things would be different. I hadn't expected anything when I died. This silly carry-on of being punished was completely wrong. But it goes on. It's not as if I can go before a bloody judge, get convicted and serve my sentence. Ridiculous. I felt it. I had acknowledged him. His ugly, contorted face and his crippled body had flashed into my mind. Now I'm being bothered by him. I know I can turn him down and off. I will not need to listen for long. The little he has told me shows how far he has to go. Lost in his own world, he'll only see what beckons him. He has no idea that he is in fact the master of his own destiny. What he believes is what he will receive. Christian had been a beautiful man with all he could wish for, but he had no empathy for anyone and barely enough for himself. Now, in his middle state, he looked how he was, small, twisted and ugly. Here in the park, he'd thought he could touch nature, but it eluded him. Now he'd forgotten why he wanted to come here in the first place. Christian had watched as different people had recognised their choice and moved forward, but couldn't grasp how he could do the same. He thought it was a punishment, but it was he who decided what happened next. Time and again, I'd been warned. You're only a trainee angel. Don't get involved with the middle souls. Middle souls drag you along with them, and it took great strength to leave. So many times I tried to leave this middle world. No communication with anyone. No one to plead my case. I once saw a woman I had killed, but she was leaving. For a second I felt her pleasure, and her light almost touched my dark shadow, but she never stopped, not even to be angry. It was as if I didn't exist when I was really the most important thing that had ever happened to her. No lights came for me. I had been handsome, but now... When I saw my reflection in a plate glass window, I realised I would no longer mesmerise anyone with my good looks. That had disappeared, and in its place I saw an old, awkward, bald man, with not even a small sign of light about me. When would this end? I could feel the cold and pains in my arms and legs. If only that at least would stop. I knew the angels wouldn't help me. These angels who were supposed to be the light to a new, happier life. I couldn't feel any warmth or love. Absolutely no one cares. If someone, anyone cared, I'm sure I'd feel better. As an angel, I had changed many times, learning and improving. But one of my first lessons had been to avoid and leave alone anyone that had slime and self-loathing surrounding them. Even as I told myself not to look back, I did. And the depth of despair was so deep it pulled me back. My stupid mother and father had seen me as the second coming. Unexpectedly handsome for such a plain couple. They had basked in my sunlight. Had called me Christian. For goodness sakes, how far away from reality was that? They had been so proud of my accomplishments at school. I found it so easy to learn everything and anything. As I grew older, I could see women adored me. 
I soon realised I could get people to do almost anything for me. Even men liked to stand in my light in the hope of getting my leftovers. Money came easily. Madly, my parents expected some sort of reward for bringing me into the world. Hardly fair, because I inherited nothing from them, nor the teachers in my schools. It had all been me. I brought myself to the world. I wondered if I could just help him see the road. Maybe just a small light for him to walk toward. Surely a little help wouldn't harm me. After all, I'm an angel and I do help people. Even as I thought that, I could feel the distance between myself and Christian grow close. I couldn't believe that the woman I gave the opportunity of having my child made such a mess of it. She was clever and beautiful, and with me as the father, surely we could have done much better. It was only after I'd taken their life that I realised it was probably my parents' fault. It was they that had been ugly and stupid. It had been so easy to destroy my parents. I didn't have to kill them, just cause them to feel so bloody sad that it seemed the best way out. Dad and Mum took pills. I couldn't be accused of killing them now, could I? I wasn't going to try and have another child. Clearly, I was a one-off. I warned the women that I didn't want children and they should take precautions so if they didn't, it wasn't fair to say that I had been heartless if I killed that child. I was now so close to Christian, it seemed inevitable that I would be lost in his darkness. I was resigned now. It couldn't be helped. How many times I'd have been warned that kindness could destroy you if care wasn't taken. These middle souls only took, never gave, and the only way for them to move forward was to realise that they had been cruel, unkind and uncaring. My foot could feel the clammy coldness of his world. The hand that took mine was more powerful than anything else I had ever felt. Light blasted everywhere. Rainbows of colours, bright, dark and middle colours like shards of glass all around me. Finally, I was lifted upwards and away from the dark earth and middle earth man who had tried to sink me into his world without light. It was the smell that would remind me of that lesson. But above that was the purity of the love from the angels that had come to save me, knowing the danger of being lost in that very place. I thought I had him. He was so very close. The bastard slipped off the hook at the last minute. One day I'd get an angel to join me. Kindness and love could do that. Not everyone wanted to be saved. I don't need anyone. The trainee angel and Edward, the tallest angel. I knew Edward was waiting to talk to me. I knew I'd put him and the others at risk by allowing Christian to catch my attention. I was also aware that I was a very lucky angel and that Edward and the others had managed to pull me away from a terrible fate. I would never forget the smell as I slipped toward the horror awaiting me. I lived the life through the time and the famine in Ireland and the smell of potatoes going rotten in the ground had stayed with me and the smell of Christian's world started with that at the edges and rolled into the slimy smell of rotted cabbage. I had been close, very close, to losing everything. Maybe never to return where I was now. I turned to Edward. Thank you so much for the risk you took saving me. I'll never do anything like that again. You're a training angel, Michael. Mistakes are made, but it's been a long time since I saw such a loving nature as yours. It surpasses most of us, but it's dangerous to allow it free reign. I do hope the experience, nasty though it was, helps you in future decisions and thoughts. You, especially, must always be on your guard. Michael was pleased with the compliment within the warning. I'd been feeling very stupid. 
Looking upwards at the angels around me in the sky, I asked, Are the others as forgiving as you, Edward? I didn't need to wait for a reply. I felt the warmth of goodwill around me from the other angels. Love and kind murmurs wrapped themselves around me like a silken cloth. Suddenly, everything was fine. We had all won a victory and a lesson. Time to move on. Edward said, Your thoughts match my own. You need to consider, though, what it is you want to do next. Maybe you'd consider another Earth life. You could also become part of something completely new to you. I was surprised at what Edward had to say, and after some thought said, I couldn't realise I could be anything other than what I was. Edward smiled and said, In many ways, you are right. We do tend to follow a natural pathway, but you have shown particular empathy with all around you. You do need to guard against connecting too closely with evil. I tried not to feel the disappointment. I failed. Being too empathetic does not equal failure, Michael. He had guessed correctly. I looked at him with some hope as he continued. Many people need help in deciding if they want to cross over to us at all. You could be very helpful in showing the way forward in their climb to the end. As you now probably know, some only ever want to walk along a flat, straight road. It would be good, wouldn't it, to show them a life of excitement or of giving, a faster, more fulfilling way to reach the place that they most want to be. Michael wasn't sure what he wanted. He had been happy enough until Christian had nearly took him down toward despair. He could feel the angels around him moving on to places they could sense their help was needed. The task of helping others was something he'd enjoyed. If it's alright with you, I'll just rest a while and see where I'm taken. Not for long, but I feel a bit lost at the moment. Michael was pleased that Edward had trusted him to be alone in spite of everything. Looking around with interest, he noticed for the first time that everything was still. The birds and the animals, quiet and unseen. The clouds no longer moving across the sky. Nor people either, except... Yes, he could see a child of around six or seven sitting on the grass in the shade. Such a warm, sunny day. Why hadn't he noticed that before? Before Christian. Would it always be that now? Before and after? No, that would define him, and he would not allow that. The child was looking at him. He sat beside her. Could she see him? Why was it so quiet? Was she special? Then she spoke. Can you see me, Michael? Yes, I can. I was unsure if you could see me. Should I know you? Miranda giggled. That's so funny. We're each other. We make a whole. Ah, you are the yin to my yang. My soulmate. How lovely, you're just the one I need to speak with. Miranda smiled at him. Of course that's why she was here. Because it was her who could help me the most. I marvelled at how simple life could really be in a world where needs could be met when you opened your mind to them. I am more than happy to move alongside you until you feel comfortable, Michael. It would be wonderful for us to go on together, either to another life or to leave these familiar places. I thought of leaving the world I knew and onto something different. Was it better? Worse? Surely not worse. It would be about missing this. The smells, the sights and tastes and so much more. I realised then that I'd already given up on taste. It had been so long since I'd tasted anything. I looked at the young girl, her eyes innocent and unworldly. Why have you come to me in the form of a child? Because I want you to start at the beginning, Michael. Your choice is a simple one, not complicated. It's only what you want that is sought here, and importantly, we'll do it together. When we left, it wasn't with fanfare. No bells, no music or bugles blowing. We just left without a goodbye or a backward glance. I could feel her presence, but not see it. 
Age wasn't a part of it because we were reborn. No pain here, just calmness. Soft light swung around us. The pleasure of just being within us. I no longer had a hunger for anything other than to be a part of something so much bigger than myself. I can feel the love of all my brothers, sisters, mothers and fathers who had come before me. Children of those that had come from me. Miranda seemed to hug me to her. It was right and just perfect. I'd never be alone again. Ned's second chance. And Edward. I love being in Black Park, especially by the lake. It was a special place for me. My mum would bring me here to play and would often talk of the time I fell into the lake and how lucky I was to be alive at all. If I sit quietly, I'll have the answer. It wouldn't be the first time I'd sat here and come away with a path to follow. All of my exams passed, mostly passed with honours. So what would I do with all the pieces of paper collected over the years? It hadn't always been easy, but I'd never let anything move my resolve of passing enough tests to enable me to do almost anything I wanted. But what was that? Edward watched and listened to Ned's silent questions. It wasn't the job of angels to tell anyone what to do, but Ned was different. A guiding hand would not cause any changes that had not already been agreed to when Ned replaced the soul of a boy, a boy who had been ready to leave but had been sidetracked by meeting his hero between one life and another. Ned could sense the change before he could see it. He had often had a feeling of someone standing close, keeping him safe and strong when he needed to be. When Ned had the tall angel speak, it was just as before. It was unlike any other voice, clear and pleasing to his ears. A voice that makes you feel nothing bad could happen while the owner was close. Ned smiled. He could see his angel. He was even taller than he'd been before. He felt as if he was at the end of a marathon, his race now completed and his medal about to be offered. Even as he thought that, he knew he had much to do and yet more to give. What happened before happened again. The world was still. The only movement was him and the angel. Ned recalled the last time. The boy drowning, the man trying to save him. He remembered that he had been very old and his soul leaving his body. He had so much to do, so much to change and put back, but the time had run out. Behind him had been his niece, worn and tired with caring for him. He had not deserved her care. He had not even known why she cared at all. Ned looked at the angel. What am I to do next? I can't remember. I can't remember the bad things I did in my last life, nor what I can do to make that better. Edward smiled. I know it's difficult to remember, but it will return with time and the memory of your atoning for the past and what you have wanted to happen. Edward pointed across the water. Your niece is waiting to leave, but wanted to see you before she left. Ned looked over at his niece. Older now, maybe 70 years. Not a long life then. He felt the excitement rise within him. All the hard work, never letting up, making sure he studied that bit longer, not going out or seeing girls. Everything was for this moment, this chance to give something back. He couldn't remember the relationship between him and his niece. Maybe she was angry. Had he hurt her? Ruined her life? Why had she cared for him? Maybe she loved him and was paying him back with the care she gave. He tried but he could not remember how long they'd been locked together. But he had a sense of her being tired and sad and maybe even lonely. He had hoped her life had improved after his leaving, but if he was honest, he never gave her a thought as he left. Not a backward glance or to wonder how his leaving affected her one way or another. Suddenly, he was within touching distance. She said, Ned? I couldn't remember her name, 
so just said the one word hoping it wasn't going to be necessary to know. Yes. She smiled. You can't remember my name, nor much else about me, I expect. I'm Jane. Ned tried to read her face. Could he see anger, pain or revenge? Was she going to tell him about his previous life, how bad he'd been? He couldn't remember much of what had been his badness, his unacceptable behaviour. He could never have grown and improved to repay if he had. What was the price? He would have been a big part of that decision, but he couldn't remember it. Will I be a doctor? Invent something to change the world for the better? Will I be a leader? He could almost feel the power within his fingers, waiting to do something, something good, a reason for his mother to be proud. Jane looked into his eyes. Within her eyes, he could see the sorrow he had caused, how unkind he'd been. She had not been a clever girl. She had wanted to live a life of subservience and was content within that until he had come to live with her mother, his sister Rosemary. Always he had hit Jane, kicked her. After years of this, his sister had stood up to him, trying to stop him hurting Jane. He told the doctor that Rosemary had fallen down the stairs and Jane had been silent, afraid even at her mother's funeral. He continued bullying Jane and in the end took her to his bed whenever he had an urge for a woman. When he had his stroke, she should have taken revenge but didn't know how, so she just cared for him, taking him to toilet and washing his useless body. Not once did she harm or hurt him. Ned stepped back at the horror of what he was, his heart pounding. How could he ever be forgiven or repay the hurt? He remembered his sister, not the woman he had killed, but the child he had played with. She was always so joyous, always allowing him to play with her things, her toys. He broke them and offered them back, enjoying the tears splashing down on her top as she bowed her head. Oh, I'm so very sorry, Jane. I'll do anything, anything that would make a difference. Looking around, I could see that in the stillness of the frozen-in-time world, others had arrived, many angels waiting to learn a lesson. Would Jane insist on revenge? I knew what was important had already happened. There would not be a life of fame awaiting me. The man with too many gifts. I like being here. When I watched the ducks swimming on the lake and the children playing in their special place, it felt safe. They wouldn't find me, the voices. Well, not for a while anyway. I didn't mind the tall guy, Edward. The others just frightened me with their overly large wings. Edward's wings seemed about right for his size. The world often seemed crowded now that I could see angels and dead people. When I'd first noticed the angels, I'd thought it was a trick of the light. I certainly didn't tell anyone. They'd think I was mad. It may be better if it was official. I am mad. Confused. Demented. Problem solved. Well, sort of. What are they going to do with me? That would then be the problem. Edward said that I just had to relax and wait. Edward thought I should try to enjoy the experience. Almost like being an angel, but not. It was okay for him. I can't grant wishes. I can give messages to the living, but that had already got me into a great deal of trouble. I don't grant wishes, Fred. Oops, Edward had heard me thinking. I smiled up at him. Well, you know what I mean. No, not exactly. Edward sat next to me and smiled to let me know it wasn't important. How are you, Fred? You seemed happy for a moment and now you're looking sad again. I can't find my place, Edward. Half the world thinks I'm mad. The other half won't give me peace. They want to ask about people who have died. Add to that the dead people who want to speak to those who are left behind. The two don't always match up. Edward smiled. I have some sympathy with your dilemma, 
but it's what you wanted for this life. A knowledge of both sides, the living and the dead. Edward placed his hand on Fred's shoulder. He also asked for a very long life. I watched a young girl on the other side of the lake finding it a struggle to walk. A baby was about to arrive. What was she doing in a park? Turning my attention back to Edward, I said, Yes, yes, I know, it's the full package. Suicide was a regular visitor to my inner thoughts, and even though I knew it was never going to happen, I had tasted how that felt previously, and it was pointless because you relived your life until you passed the point of ending it, and then it stayed until its conclusion. Pointless. So many times Edward had told me to find a purpose. I knew Edward could tell me the path, but also knew I needed to come to it my own way. Over and over, I came to see Edward with the thought that this time I'd ask. I never did. I knew that today wasn't going to be any different. It wasn't long before they arrived, the living and the dead. The living, of course, didn't know of my ability to read their life. The pregnant girl was heading this way. I wasn't sure why people wanted to know about the future. I knew much about mine, and it hadn't brought me any comfort or indeed happiness. The reverse had been the case. The pregnant woman huffed and puffed as she reached my bench. The tree above gave the seating area a cool comfort. I wish she wouldn't stop. I knew that within a few moments I'd have a working picture of her life, but it was obvious she couldn't go further without a sit-down. She smiled. I smiled back. Do you have a mobile phone? I knew that was a strange thing to say to her, but the baby was about to arrive. I could hear the baby, muffled, but getting louder. Girls are always the loudest and keenest to arrive, and in spite of my grumpy mood, it made me smile. I had stopped carrying a mobile. It was bad enough getting dead people communicating all the time without giving anyone living the chance. Does it look like you'll need to call an ambulance? She laughed. Don't worry, I've got two weeks left to go. Mm, best leave the revelation till it arrives, I thought. I watched as she dug her hands into a fairly large bag, too large for her condition. What could she be carrying? I mean, it was after the baby came into the world that the large, overstuffed bags would be needed. She lifted her mobile out and into the shaded daylight. Ta-da! All charged and ready for action. But as I said, it's not needed just yet. Mm, little did she know that within the next hour, I'd be seeing parts of her I'd prefer not to. As I had known it would, her story arrived piecemeal at first, but then with clarity. I felt Edward beside me and looked up at him. Tears of joy slipped from his eyes and other angels in the background had started to gather to allow this young woman to feel wrapped in love. Edward, you're such a softie. You've seen this a million times. I'm sorry, Fred. It's always so beautiful. Fred had to admit it, but... It was a spectacular sight to see. If you could take in the whole picture. Mother, the baby in the womb, intended on getting out right here, right now, and the angels now arcing around the tree that shaded the bench. I was looking around, wondering exactly how I was going to manage this. The grass behind the bench was fairly good. Not ideal, but softish. I was so intent on checking the area, I hadn't realised I was being watched by the young woman, who had now had a guarded look on her face. Oh, hell, had I talked to Edward out loud. So, how are you feeling now? A bit cooler, I hope. I put on my most sane-looking face and glanced back at Edward with a grimace. Edward was enjoying my discomfort and said, Well, she's not going anywhere, so don't worry too much. By the way, her name is Jennifer, and the new person about to arrive will be Claire. I thought I'd best make sure I asked about names before they slipped out and reinforced her fear that she was stuck with a madman who was possibly a stalker. How else would he know her name? Not to mention Claire, or the fact that she was a she. The scream, when it came, even though expected, made everyone jump, including the young woman that made it. I think he's coming. Oh God, surely not now, not here. I tried out my most reassuring voice and look. 
It's okay, I've done this before. Well, I mean, sort of. Sort of? In, in what way, sort of? I watched last time. I noted the look of horror. By now she would be sure she had met a fate worse than any she could have imagined. Uh, maybe you'd best get comfortable on the grass behind the bench? Good grief, what was I saying? That came out all wrong. It didn't matter, though, because her mind was clearly now on the job at hand delivering Claire. The mobile phone and bag discarded on the floor beside her. I picked up the mobile, dialed the obligatory 999 and explained the situation. An ambulance was on the way. Jennifer was squatting, her hands clutching the back of the bench. We all held her breath as she pushed at each wave of pain. I hovered, waiting to be asked for help. Edward shoved me forward. Get on with it, Fred. Claire is almost here. I helped Jennifer to lay back on the grass, her pants already removed, thank goodness, and the long, flowing dress she was wearing making it easier to offer some privacy from prying eyes, including mine. I wasn't sure about the angels and whether this would bother them or Jennifer. Baby Claire slipped easily into my shaking hands. Beside me, I'd already placed my lovely new lightweight cream jacket ready to put the baby in. It had taken me ages to find that jacket. I gave myself a mental shake. Goodness sakes, it would be easy to get it cleaned. The baby looked around at her audience. She, of course, could see Edward and his angels. They placed Claire into the jacket and then into her mother's arms. Thank you so much. Isn't she beautiful? Jennifer only had eyes for her baby. The ambulance men arrived. I looked around and noticed that the angels had drifted off. Edward was standing close to a child who was clearly playing chicken with his life as he climbed high into a tree. Ah, the suicidal tendencies of the young. An elderly lady walked slowly past the drama coming to a close. She used her age to pretend to walk slowly, but I knew she was far more sprightly. She smiled at me and winked. I realised she was a visitor from beyond. Some people just have to come back from these moments of celebration. That's the end of Angels in Black Park. Written by Mary Crowner. Good night. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.